welcome to Shipwreck Sunday, where we investigate disasters at sea and the impact that they have on the world today. My name is Eleanor, and here with me is my co-host, Eric. Hello. Today, we will be discussing the fire and subsequent loss of P.S. General Slocum. Before we dive in, we must inform you. The story does include details of a maritime disaster resulting in the loss of a vessel and death that may be disturbing to some audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. Please note before we begin that neither Eleanor nor I are mariners or experts in the field of maritime history. We have done our research and will present the information as we understand it and with accurate nautical terminology. In today's episode, moving forward, we will be including the basics of nautical terminology in the description below for anyone who needs it. Thanks, Derek. Our story begins with a contract to build a paddle wheel steamer, and the steamer would become P.S. General Slocum. Although there isn't a port of registry listed for the P.S. General Slocum, I'm going to assume it was probably New York City, since part of her construction took place there, and most of her career was in New York City. She was owned by Knickerbocker Steamship Company. Her keel was laid on December 23, 1890, and the boat builder Divine Burtis Jr. of Brooklyn, New York, was awarded her contract on February 15, 1891, and these builders immediately started working on her hull. P.S. General Slocum was 264 feet long, had a 37.5 foot beam, and a draft of 7.5 feet unloaded, 8 to 8.5 feet when loaded. She had two paddle wheels, with each wheel being 31 feet in diameter and having 26 paddles. Her keel was constructed of white oak and yellow pine, and she weighed in at a whopping 1,284 gross registered tons. P.S. General Slocum had three decks, the main deck, promenade, and hurricane. The ship also had three watertight compartments and 250 electric lights, which for a paddle wheel steamer of her time was impressive. W&A Fletcher Company of Hoboken, New Jersey built her single-cylinder, surface-condensing, vertical-beam steam engine that was powered by two boilers. These steam engines powered her paddle wheels that propelled the ship forward at her maximum speed of 16 knots. The ship was generally manned by a 22-man crew, including Captain William H. Van Shake and two pilots. P.S. General Slocum could legally carry 2,500 passengers with the cabin, storeroom, and machinery spaces below the main deck. The crew quarters were the second compartment from the bow, with a hatch and ladder leading to the main deck. Just behind the quarters was what was called the forward cabin. This was intended to be a cabin space originally, however it had been used as a storeroom and lamp room since the ship's conception. It also housed the ship's steering engine and dynamo. What's a dynamo, Derek? A dynamo is a machine for converting mechanical energy into electrical energy. Essentially, a dynamo is a generator. This forward cabin, being used as a storeroom and lamp room, was used to store and refuel the ship's oil lamps using oil barrels that were kept there. Oil frequently spilled from the barrels and soaked into the floors and walls, and the crew wasn't particularly careful. They continually went into and out of the lamp room with open flames, not thinking of all the oil around them. After this lamp room was where the engines and boilers were housed, with the stern compartment below the main deck behind the machinery being used as an after saloon. The promenade deck was above the main deck and was open except for a small section amidships where the superstructure was, with the hurricane deck being above that and housing lifeboats and life rafts. The pilot house, essentially the bridge, was above the hurricane deck. The name General Slocum came from Civil War General and New York Congressman Henry Warner Slocum. He was a Union General and held Culp's Hill at Gettysburg, the bloodiest battle ever fought on American soil. He was elected a representative to the Congress, serving March 4, 1869 to March 3, 1873. 
He died at the age of 66 on April 14, 1894, and thus was honored by the Knickerbocker Steamboat Company as they named their paddle wheel steamer after him. She operated in New York City on the East River as an excursion steamer for 13 years under her original ownership. Unfortunately for this paddle wheel steamer, she faced many mishaps following her launch on April 18, 1891. She passed her sea trials and her maiden voyage started June 25, 1891, though there aren't details about how long this voyage lasted or where she went. Four months after her lunch, P.S. General Slocum ran into her first bout of trouble when she ran aground off Rockaway, having to wait for tugboats to free her. 1894 was not a good year for P.S. General Slocum. She got herself into many incidents, starting on July 29th, when she struck a sandbar while returning from Rockaway with staggering 4,700 passengers. She struck so hard that her electrical generator went out. The following month in August, General Slocum ran aground off of Coney Island due to a storm, and while the ship was grounded, the passengers had to be transferred off the ship to another vessel. In September of that year, General Slocum collided with a tugboat by the name of R.T. Sayer in the East River, General Slocum taking significant damage to her steering. Four years later, in July of 1898, she collided with another ship, Amelia, near Battery Park. Geez, that's a lot of accidents. No kidding. But that's not all her incidents, and this next one is almost comical. In August of 1901, she was transporting what would later be described as 900, quote, intoxicated anarchists from Patterson, New Jersey. And on August 17th, some of these intoxicated anarchist passengers started a riot aboard General Slocum, attempting to take over the vessel. The crew fought back and kept control of their vessel, with the captain docking the ship at the police pier, and 17 men were arrested by the police. It's definitely not something you see every day. You might say what happens on the General Slocum stays on the General Slocum. Her final incident before her sinking was in June of 1902 when she ran aground with 400 passengers on the ship. The vessel was unable to be freed, and so the passengers had to quite literally camp out overnight while awaiting assistance. As we know, P.S. General Slocum worked as a passenger ship used for excursions and pleasure cruises, and was regularly chartered by St. Mark's Evangelical Lutheran Church from the Little Germany district of Manhattan, as they had done for 17 years prior. And June 15, 1904 was no different. The church chartered P.S. General Slocum for $350, which would be roughly 11651 today. This trip, there were 1,358 passengers and 30 officers and crew aboard, most of the passengers being women and children. Of the nearly 1,400 passengers, it was estimated fewer than 150 of them were males over the age of 21. The ship left the recreation pier at 3rd Street on the East River at 9.30 a.m. with the passengers and crew ready for a regular excursion cruise, passing west of Blackwell Island, presently called Roosevelt Island, and turning east, remaining south of Wards Island. As it was passing by East 90th Street, a fire sparked in the lamp room, possibly due to a discarded lit cigarette or a match hitting the oil-soaked flooring. The fire had plenty of fuel as it lapped at straw, oily rags, and lamp oil that was splashed all over the room, growing quickly and filling the air with smoke. The fire was first noticed at 10 a.m., with eyewitnesses claiming the initial blaze began in many locations, a paint locker filled with flammable liquids and a cabin filled with gasoline, among other theories. Passengers who were on the main deck at the time didn't become aware of the fire until the ship passed by Hellgate, a narrow tidal strait in the East River that separates Astoria, Queens from Randalls and Wards Island. Shockingly enough, Captain Van Shake was not made aware of the fire until 10 minutes after the blaze broke out. 
A 12-year-old boy had tried to warn him of the fire when it first broke out, but the captain did not believe the young man. He should have heeded the boy's warning. After he was officially notified of the fire by one of his men, Captain Van Shake ordered full speed ahead, realizing the dangers. About 30 seconds later, he ordered the pilot to beach the ship at nearby North Brother Island. After giving this order, the captain descended to the hurricane deck and remained there until he was able to jump into the shallow water after the ship was eventually beached. Although it is true that the captain of any vessel is responsible for the safety of passengers and crew, the owners of the ship were lackluster at best when it came to updating safety equipment. The main deck had a standpipe that was connected to a steam pump, but the fire hose was attached to the forward end of it was described as a hundred foot stretch of cheap unlined linen that had been allowed to rot and burst in several spots. When the crew attempted to put out the fire, they were unable to attach a rubber hose they had because the coupling of the linen hose was stuck fast to the standpipe. The ship also had hand pumps and buckets, but for some reason the, the crew didn't use them to put out the fire of 1904. The crew gave up any firefighting effort after they failed to attach the rubber hose to the standpipe, and the icing on the cake was that the crew had not yet performed a fire drill for the year of 1904, and the lifeboats were tied up, making them inaccessible. Some even claimed that the lifeboats had been wired up and painted in place, essentially making them more effective decorations and rescue. Most survivors reported that the life preservers on board were poor quality too, falling apart in their hands. Some desperate mothers put their children in life jackets and tossed them into the water to get them away from the ship, only to find their horror that their children sank instead of floating due to how old and worn the life jackets were. Most Americans at the time did not know how to swim, and the many women and children on board the General Slocum were no different. The victims found that their heavy wool clothing absorbed the water and weighed them down in the river, along with having to contend with the current. Now, this next bit of information is going to make you very angry, dear listener, if you're anything like me, because it shocked me when I read it. The supplier of the cork that went into the life preservers, Nonpareil Cork Works, had actually placed 8-ounce bars of iron inside the cork materials to meet minimum content requirements. These requirements were about 6 ounces of quote-unquote good cork at the time, though no one knew of this deception until after the disaster. Nonpareil's deception was finally discovered by David Conweiler's sons, who inspected a shipment of 300 cork blocks that had been tampered with. Many of the life preservers found on General Slocum were filled with cheap and ineffective granulated cork being brought up to weight requirements with the iron that was hidden within them. The canvas covers over the preservers had rotted with age and split due to being hung above the deck out in the elements for 13 years after having been produced in 1891. The managers of Nonpareil Cork Works were indicted but not convicted of any crimes, frustratingly enough. It's quite frankly pathetic. With the ship still ablaze, Captain Van Shake decided to continue his course instead of running the ship aground or stopping at a nearby landing. By going into headwinds and failing to immediately ground his vessel, he inadvertently fanned the flames and encouraged its spread from the bow to the stern. The investigating commission later found Van Shake at fault for the disaster since he passed up opportunities to beach the vessel in Little Hellgate or the Bronx Bills, which would have put the winds astern and prevented the fire from spreading along the entire length of the ship. The captain argued he was trying to avoid the fire spreading the riverside buildings and oil tanks, a flimsy excuse to do the bare minimum or nothing at all. 
The ship being covered in flammable paint didn't help, allowing the fire to eat the ship up as it spread down the port side of the ship, pushing passengers to the aft starboard quarter. Ten minutes after the fire was discovered, the ship was beached on North Brother Island, the flames engulfing the vessel and licking at the sky. No more than 20 minutes had passed since the fire first started and the beaching, the passengers leaping into the water trying to desperately avoid the blaze. Unfortunately, the heavy women's clothing of the day, primarily made of wool, made swimming impossible and dragged them under. An estimated 100 to 500 died when the overloaded starboard section of the hurricane deck finally collapsed from the fire, sending passengers into the East River's deep waters. The others that had not been tossed into the water were instead battered by the still-turning paddles as they tried to escape into the water over the sides of the ship. The investigating commission made an estimate that roughly 400 to 600 people drowned after the ship had beached as they were jumping from the stern into very deep water and drowning. Those who jumped from the bow were in more shallow water that was easier to navigate. P.S. General Slocum remained on the beach of North Brother Island for around an hour and a half before breaking free from the beach and drifting east for about a mile, sinking in the shallow water off the shore of Hunts Point. An estimated 957 people had either burned to death or drowned. It is known that there were 431 survivors, with 180 of them being injured. Two tugboats arrived a few minutes after the General Slocum was beached, and they are credited with saving an estimated 200 to 350 people. According to the 1904 Coast Guard report after the disaster, it is estimated that 1,388 people aboard, 30 were crew members, 613 were adults, and 745 were children. Of these groups, two crew members were killed and five were injured, leaving 23 uninjured surviving crew, 893 passengers were identified dead, 62 were missing and identified dead, and 175 were injured, leaving 228 uninjured surviving passengers. Captain Van Shake actually lost sight in one of his eyes due to the fire, but don't feel too bad for him. Reports later indicated Van Shake cowardly abandoned the vessel as soon as it beached, jumping into one of the many nearby tugs along with several of his cowardly crew. He was later hospitalized at Lebanon Hospital and recovered, though never regaining sight in that one eye. There were many acts of heroism that day, though they weren't committed by the crew. Instead, it was by the passengers, witnesses, and emergency personnel, including the staff of the hospital on North Brother Island, forming human chains to pull people from the water. Following the investigation, eight people were indicted for the disaster by a federal grand jury. The captain, two inspectors, and the president, secretary, treasurer, and commodore of the Knickerbocker Steamship Company. Only Captain Van Shake ended up being convicted, being found guilty on one of three charges, criminal negligence for failing to maintain fire drills and fire extinguishers. The jury was hung on the verdict for the other two charges of manslaughter, so he's only sentenced to 10 years in federal prison for criminal negligence. He only spent three years and six months behind bars at Sing Sing before being paroled under the William Howard Taft administration after they voted to free him August 26, 1911. When he was first in prison, President Theodore Roosevelt refused to pardon him. President Taft did end up pardoning him on December 19, 1912, with the pardon becoming effective Christmas Day. Van Shake died in 1927 and was buried in Oakwood Cemetery in Troy, New York. The Knickerbocker Steamship Company got off with a slap on the wrist, having to only pay a relatively small fine despite plenty of evidence that they may have falsified their inspection records. That's highly illegal. Indeed it is, and it's also incredibly negligent. The best thing to come out of this is that after the fire, the federal and state officials were motivated to update regulation to improve the emergency equipment on passenger ships.
Sadly, the neighborhood where most of these passengers had originated, Little Germany, moved uptown and practically disappeared, as the sinking hastened the declining neighborhood. Following the trauma and arguments surrounding the sinking and the loss of so many in their community, most of the Lutheran Germans remained in the Lower East Side finally moved uptown. The church that had chartered the ship was converted into a synagogue in 1940 after Jewish residents moved into the area. The victims of the sinking were interred into cemeteries around New York. 58 identified victims were interred in the cemetery of the Evergreens. 46 identified victims were buried in the Greenwood Cemetery and many others being buried at Lutheran Cemetery in Middle Village, Queens, which is presently called Lutheran All Faith Cemetery, where an annual memorial ceremony is still held at the historical marker there. In 1906, Tompkins Square Park, a marble memorial fountain, was built by the Sympathy Society of German Ladies with the inscription, They are Earth's purest children, young and fair, carved into it. If you're wondering what happened to the carcass of P.S. General Slocum, it was salvaged and turned into a smaller 625 gross registered ton barge named Maryland. Maryland sank in the South River in 1909, being refloated and sinking again in the Atlantic Ocean off the southeast coast of New Jersey during a storm on December 4, 1911, while carrying a cargo load of coal. All four people aboard Maryland survived the final sinking. After it sinks twice, you would think the damn thing was cursed and you wouldn't refloat it again. That's what I was thinking. And the fire and sinking of the 1,388 people aboard, 957 were killed and 180 were injured in the less than 20 minutes that it took the ship to founder. The last surviving passenger, Adela Wotherspoon, passed away at the age of 100 on January 26, 2004. She was only six months old when the ship sank, being the youngest survivor of the disaster that sadly took the lives of her two older sisters. When Adela was a one-year-old, she unveiled the Steamboat Fire Mass Memorial at Lutheran All Faith Cemetery on June 15, 1905. Before her death, the previous oldest survivor was Catherine Ullmeyer Connolly, who was only 11 when the accident happened. This episode hopes to honor and remember the victims of the tragedy aboard P.S. General Slocum. This tragedy was the worst loss of life for New York City before the September 11th attacks in 2001 and needs to continue to be remembered and learned from, even though it happened over 100 years ago. Luckily, nowadays, safety and fire regulations aboard ships is strictly regulated. Thank you for tuning in to Shipwreck Sunday. If you like this episode and are listening on YouTube, please give us a like, leave us a comment, and subscribe to our channel. If you like this episode and are listening on Spotify, Samsung Podcasts, Amazon Music, or another podcast service, please subscribe for more content and leave us a five-star review, as it does help us reach more listeners like you. Tune in next Sunday for the story of the Sultana, the worst maritime disaster in United States history. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.